Good morning. Yeah, aren't you grateful for our praise team? Man, they're awesome. I love them. And I love that we've already worshiped together and that we are reminded to not worry. And that's what the Bible tells us. It says worry about nothing. And so we can pray about everything, worry about nothing. So I'm so grateful for that reminder this morning. Well, we are in a series that we are calling Soul Safari. And that's because we're going on a safari together, not to hunt for animals, but to hunt for the things that our soul really needs, the top five that our soul really needs. Last week, we looked at purpose, and today we're going to be talking about rest, how our soul hunts for rest. So we're going to be on that God hunt for rest today. The first time Chris and I and our team from church went on safari in Kenya after we'd done a mission trip, um, we had no idea what to expect on our first safari. Uh, But our Jeep arrived at 6 a.m., and we got in the safari Jeep. It had no roof, so you could stand up and look out all around you. And of course, we had a driver in the Jeep. We had a safari guide that sat next to the driver, and he had a radio where he could talk to the other guides that were out. And we headed out at 6 a.m. into the bush, and we were driving along these muddy, rocky dirt roads through thick brush, and all of a sudden, there's a lot of chatter on the radio. Our guide got real excited, and he motioned to the driver, and the driver just floors it. And we're holding on for dear life. We're going, what is happening? You know, what's going on? Where's he going so fast? He was driving so fast and through the dirt roads and through the brush and then off road. And we came out into a clearing where there were all these flowing grasslands. And then our guide said to the driver, slow down. So he slowed down. Then he said, stop. And he stopped. And then our guide looked at us and he said, silence. And then he pointed out to a patch of grass. And at first I didn't see anything. But then I saw a tail just above the top of the grass. And then I saw the back of a spotted animal. And then out from the tall grass came this beautiful, majestic leopard. Now, a leopard is one of the most elusive of the big five. People go on safari year after year and never see a leopard. And here we are in our first safari and we see this beautiful leopard. Uh, Just look at a picture of a leopard. Isn't that amazing? I mean, here was this leopard, and we were just going so slow, being so quiet, because usually leopards are hiding out up in trees, or they're hiding in the grass, and they, they hunt at night, and so they're just rarely seen. They're so elusive, and here we were on our first safari. We saw this beautiful leopard for about two minutes, and then he disappeared in the forest. Now, can you imagine if you went on a safari for the very first time in your life, but things were completely different? Your Jeep arrives at 6 a.m., and you get in, and you see that you have a driver, and you have a safari guide, and you're ready to go, and you're so excited, and then the driver just floors it right away. And the guide is saying, slow down, what are you doing? And he's just driving like a maniac, and you're driving through the brush and through the bush and you you just don't know if you're going to hit a termite mound or run into an acacia tree and you're just wonder what is happening here and all along the guide says slow down you're going to kill us what are you doing but the driver never listens to the safari guide he just drives as fast as he can for as long as he can now if that really happened to you 
that'd be a horrific experience that would create about three negative consequences. First, you'd get really sick from bouncing around in that Jeep, you know, trying to dodge those termite mounds. Secondly, either you'd have a wreck or you'd run out of gas, and both of those are bad out in the wild if you had to stay overnight. And the third thing is you would miss out on seeing those amazing animals, the whole purpose of a safari. And I know that sounds crazy to think that a driver wouldn't listen to the safari guide and never slow down but drive as fast as he can for as long as he can. But that's exactly what most people do every day of their lives. We don't listen to our guide, the Holy Spirit, and we never slow down. We just go as fast as we can. And it causes three devastating consequences. First, our souls get sick. We're emotionally unhealthy. Our relationships are unhealthy. Our souls are never nourished. The second thing that happens to us is we run out of gas. We experience burnout. Our culture has an epidemic of burnout today. We run out of gas. We burn out or our lives derail. We wreck. And then maybe the most um, consequential of the three is that we miss out on God's purpose and blessing for our lives. We miss it completely because we're going so fast through life that we never really notice the blessings that God has for us. So today we're going to be talking about how your soul is hunting for rest and how you can find rest. Well, the word safari means journey. It's a Swahili word, it means journey. So we're taking this journey together to find rest. And it turns out that that feeling of miserableness that you have in you when you feel burned out and frayed and worn down is actually a gift. Burnout's a gift because it reminds you that you're not where you want to be. And whenever you take a journey, you need to know where you're, where you're at before you know which direction to head to get where you want to be. So that burned out feeling is a gift. It's a reminder that something needs to change. Now, most of us have tried changing things thinking that we can fix that feeling in ourselves. Maybe if we eat a little more in the evenings, we'd feel better. Or maybe if just the right show will come streaming on Netflix, you know, finally, we'll feel better. So we, we surf the channels and we just keep opening the refrigerator, hoping that somehow we can get rid of this gnawing feeling in ourselves. But it never works out. Now, recently, I got myself an electric screwdriver. And I was really excited about it because I have a drawer full of regular screwdrivers, but I really wanted an electric one. And whenever the occasion comes up that I need to use a screwdriver, I've always thought as I try to turn it, I thought it would be really great to have one of those power tools that just does it for you. So I ordered one for myself finally. It came in, I was really excited, had a couple of things I had been waiting to use it on, and I took it out of the box, plugged it in, made sure it was all charged up, and went to use it, and it didn't work. So frustrating. And so I tried everything. You know, I took, kind of took the top apart, took everything off, that didn't work. I re-plugged it in, and then I you know, charged it for a while, let it sit, didn't work. I hit it on the counter a couple times, didn't work. And finally, as I'm stuffing it back in the box to return, really frustrated, I saw that there is an owner's manual in there. And so pulled it out, you know, always, 
always my last choice for figuring something out, pulled out the owner's manual, opened it up, and there just fell open to the page, troubleshooting. And the first thing it said was, remember, you must apply pressure to the screw in order for this tool to work. I was like, what? Really? And I tried it, and sure enough, that was it. Turns out you have to push down, and it, and it goes. It was magical. I thought, wow, this was great. You see, who knew? Well, I'll tell you who knew. It was the people who made the screwdriver. They knew how to work it. And when we're broken in our own lives, when something feels broken inside of us, when your heart is broken, when your dreams are broken, when your relationships are broken, there is only one logical place to go to find out how to be well. And that is the owner's manual for humans, which is called the Bible. See, our creator, the one who made us, knows how we work. And he understands. He understands. He's the troubleshooter. He knows exactly what we need. And so if your soul is craving rest, but you feel like you're burning the candle at both ends, you just don't know how that can ever happen in your life, Today, we're going to look at the Bible's answer for how we can find that rest our soul is seeking. So if you will stand with me, and we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20. We'll stand in honor of God's word, and you can follow along as I read this. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We come to you today broken, but you love us and you want us to be healed and whole. And so now we ask you to help us understand your words and help us apply them to our lives. In your name we pray, Jesus Christ, our King, amen. You can be seated. Now, that passage that we read may have sounded vaguely familiar to you, and that's because it's actually one of the Ten Commandments. That was the fourth commandment. And it begins, remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember to observe the Sabbath day. You can underline that. Remember to observe the Sabbath day. Right there, hidden in plain sight, smack dab in the middle of the Ten Commandments, is the answer to our soul's relentless hunt for rest. It's to develop the weekly habit of a Sabbath. Now, what's a Sabbath? Now, for many of us, the image that comes to mind is someone just sitting in a corner, humming and braiding their hair all by themselves. It's just something lonely and kind of strange. We don't really know what that is. But that is actually not at all what the Bible describes as a Sabbath. A Sabbath is simply a day of rest. That's what it means. The word Sabbath means a day of rest. 
says you're to have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day, the Sabbath day, is a day of rest. So that tells us that the Sabbath is a day that's not ordinary. It's different. God is saying that our lives should have a rhythm, that we should have six days that are ordinary and then one of rest. Six days of ordinary and then one of rest. Six days of ordinary and one of rest. That is how we're designed. That is how our tool of the body, our, our human bodies work. That's how our souls work. We were made to have a rhythm. And God created this. It was his idea. Have you ever been around a band or an orchestra when they warm up and everyone is playing their own piece of the music and it just sounds like noise? It just sounds horrible. And then suddenly the conductor steps up to the podium and he raises his baton and with the first downbeat, it's beautiful. It just all comes together. And I'm always amazed at that because they sound horrible and then suddenly they sound great. What changed? Well, the musicians didn't get any better in that little interval of 10 seconds. What changed is that they joined in rhythm. They all came together to the conductor's beat and they turned that noise into music. And that's what rhythm does. Rhythm, having that rhythm of rest, defines the edges of action. It lets us know when we need to pause and go forward. And the whole world pulses with rhythm. The whole world is constantly pulsing with rhythm. It's all around us, but we're so used to it, we just don't even notice it. When we're reading, the rhythm is finding a comma, finding a period, finding a space between words. There are places that say rest, rest, rest. And so when we read, it's not one long string of letters, thousands of letters after thousands of letters. It's punctuated by rest, and that's what makes it make sense to us. In traffic, we call rest stoplights. And in school, we call that little break of rest recess. In our day, we call it night. In seasons, we call it winter, when all the plants rest. There's a dormant season of rest before everything starts going again. And in our bodies, we call it a heartbeat. Our heart pumps blood out, pushes the blood out, but then there's that recovery stroke, that rest where it comes back and the blood gets reoxygenated. Everything is pulsing, even our bodies, and that same rhythm in our souls is called Sabbath. That is the thing that our souls are missing. We want Sabbath, we're craving Sabbath, but we never get it because our flesh thinks that freedom, the best course, is always to do whatever we feel like doing. And that must be the best, right, if we can do whatever we want. But the truth is that doing whatever we want doesn't work. Your body, your soul doesn't need what it wants. What you really need is what God designed for you, and that is to take a Sabbath. So just taking that Sabbath can change everything, turn that noise of your life into a song. So who needs to take a Sabbath? Who does this verse apply to? Well, not only is it just literally in the Ten Commandments, but in this verse, it actually says, this includes you. God wanted to make it perfectly clear. I mean, everybody here. Who, who's supposed to take a Sabbath? This includes you. And goes on to say, it's for children and adults and men and women and poor and rich. It's for everybody. And then God even says, and I am included in that. God includes himself. He says, I worked for six days creating the world and on the seventh rested. 
we're kind of used to hearing that story, but I mean, isn't that pretty phenomenal? God rested. I mean, the eternal, all-powerful God rested. He chose to rest, not because he had to. He was too worn out. God rested because he chose to. It was holy. And rest is holy. And being holy means to be set apart. God took that one day and said, and this day is different. I set it apart. God stopped. And I'll be honest, a lot of times I have resisted this in my life. I have not been great at taking Sabbaths in my life. I'm, I just haven't been. Because usually I think, I can't, I'm sure I'd like to stop, but the world will, I mean, how's everybody going to get along without me? How will this turn out? And so I just keep going and going and going. And if I'm honest, I'd say that also I kind of saw stopping, resting is weakness. That if I admit I have to stop, it's admitting I'm weak. But this passage tells us the truth, and that is that actually resting is not weakness. Resting is holy, and that's the reason we do it. Well, I want us to get real practical and look at why is it so important to take a Sabbath? Why do you need desperately to take a Sabbath? First, your soul demands it. <clears throat> your soul demands it. If you break this commandment, it will eventually break you. You'll experience burnout. Your life will derail. And those who never take a day off end up taking a string of days off in a hospital bed because God made you and he made you to take a day off every seven days. That's the way you're designed, like Chris said. You're designed with that rhythm in mind. When our soul feels restless, usually what we do is we try to fill it with activity and even more busyness because we think that'll take away the restlessness and it never works because when your soul needs rest, it's not rocket science. When your soul needs rest, you've gotta rest. When your soul feels restless, it needs rest. Look at Psalm 23. The 23rd Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Underline the first phrase in that passage. The Lord is my shepherd. Then underline the last phrase. He restores my soul. And draw a line connecting the two. Because when the Lord is your shepherd, when he's your safari guide, he will restore your soul because he knows what you need. Have you heard of Shrek the sheep? And Shrek was a merino sheep in New Zealand who was named after the fictional ogre of the same name. Uh, but Shrek gained international fame in 2004 when he evaded his owners for over six years and was never shorn for those six years, and apparently he was hiding out in a cave, and so they couldn't find him for that long. Merino sheep need to be shorn at least once a year, but after six years, when they finally caught Shrek, this wayward sheep, he looked like this. Just look. Yeah. They wondered how he could still stand up and not fall over, and when they caught him, he was shorn in 20 minutes by a professional, and his fleece weighed over 60 pounds, and it contained enough wool to make over 20 men's suits. And they were wondering, how did he hold that up? How could he even get around? He was so weighed down by his fleece. And it reminds me of the way we are when we run away from our shepherd. We think we know what's best. We, we wanna do what we feel like doing. We think that's what's gonna bring fulfillment, but what it does is just starts weighing us down. 
You see, we run away from the shepherd and our fleece of problems and burdens and sins and shame starts to weigh us down. Our fleece starts to cover up our eyes and we can't even see clearly God's good purpose for us. Because we think if we're free to do whatever we wanna do, then we'll be fulfilled and it's just not true because fulfillment, as Chris said, comes not from doing what you want to do, it comes from doing what you were made to do. You see, your flesh craves certain things that really destroy your soul. And when you do whatever you feel like doing, it doesn't feed your soul. But when you do what your soul desperately needs, then you find fulfillment because you're doing the things that you're made to do. Now underline the phrase, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Because sometimes God has to make us take a break. Sometimes God has to make us rest because he loves us so much. You see, when you're racing 100 miles an hour through life and you're not even noticing the green pastures of God's blessings that he has for you, you're just going so fast that you're racing right past what God has for you. Sometimes God will allow you to get a flat tire. Maybe it's the flat tire of burnout so that God can lead you to the green pasture of balance so you can discover what it means to have a balanced life. It's what your soul needs so desperately. Or maybe it's the flat tire of an anxiety attack. I mean, you're successful, everything's going great. You kind of look at other people like they're weak if they need a break. You work harder than anyone else. You're doing amazing things and then boom, you get hit and knocked to your knees by an anxiety attack and you don't know what happened. The flat tire of an anxiety attack could be that God wants to lead you to the green pasture of a deeper relationship with the Prince of Peace. Or maybe you get hit with the flat tire of failure and it's God opening your eyes to see the green pasture of your true identity, that it's not wrapped up in what you do, it's wrapped up in whose you are and it starts setting you free to find his purpose for your life. Maybe it's the flat tire of losing a job so that God can move you to the green pasture of the one that he had for you. Maybe it's the flat tire of a, a breakup in a relationship so God can move you to the green pasture of his love for you and guide you to the right one. Sometimes God has to stop us in our tracks because he knows that when we run so fast, we race through life, we miss out on the green pasture of his blessings and his purpose for our lives. So why take the Sabbath? Your soul demands it. But secondly, your effectiveness requires it. We think if we don't take a day off, we'll get more done, and it's just not true. All the studies show it's just the opposite. To be effective and productive and creative, you need the rhythm of a day off every seven days. That's how God restores you. Ecclesiastes 10.10 says, if the ax is dull, and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. He's saying if the woodcutter just keeps cutting and keeps chopping at the tree but never takes a break to sharpen his ax, then he's gonna work so much harder and it's gonna take him so much longer. He's gonna expend so much more energy and he's not gonna be nearly as effective. We lose our effectiveness when we don't focus. You know, we're at work, but we're thinking about what we're gonna do after work, and we don't get a lot done, and so then we come home with our family, and we're thinking about the things we didn't get done at work, and we're not really connected to our family. We're not really all there. 
you know, we, we don't get the things done we need to get done during the week, so we bring it home on the weekend, and we always have a little bit of work, a little bit of relationships and family, and a little bit of rest, and it's all mixed together, and there's no rhythm, and we wonder why we're not productive, effective, and creative. And God says, it's right there in my word. I made you. I know how you work best. And so taking a Sabbath really sharpens the blade of your mind, your soul, your body, to be more effective and productive. So if we're all hardwired to desire rest, why don't we do it? Why haven't we just come to the place on our own where we figured this out? Well, I think it's really important that next we look at what keeps us from taking a Sabbath. What keeps you from taking a Sabbath? What are those rest poachers, the things that steal rest, that set traps for you, and before you know it, we've done it again. We're worn out. I think the first is conforming to our culture. Romans 12, 2 puts it this way. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That's the thing about culture, isn't it? We don't even have to think about it. It's just all around us. And the American culture is particularly bad at resting. We are world-renowned for not resting well. We take less vacation, less time off, always connected, always working. Now, sure, there may be some good sides of working a lot and working hard. We have this hustle culture, though, that's really taken it way too far. And that's because we've forgotten how to rest. Now, there's nothing wrong with working hard. The Bible talks a lot about work hard, work well. And the Bible also has a word for those who don't work, and it's called lazy. And the Bible's really super clear about it, but it's working within limits. It's accepting the fact that we have a rhythm that we're supposed to work to to be most effective. And if we don't do that, all the work is for nothing. A recent survey of Americans asked, which of the 10 commandments from the Bible do you believe are still important principles to live by? And remember to keep the Sabbath holy came in dead last. Number 10 out of 10. It is what Americans said was the least important principle to live by. That's the one that we've chose to edit out and say we can do away with that. Is it any wonder that our souls are sick with not getting rest? I mean, the fourth commandment in America is the only one that instead of being punished for, you actually might get a high five for it. You know, if we murder, we're going to lose our freedom or maybe our life and be punished that way and go to jail. If we lie or cheat, we'll probably lose our job. If we commit adultery, we may lose our marriage. If we break the Sabbath, don't keep the Sabbath, people will say, whoa, you are a hard worker. You might even get a raise. That is our culture in America. We're so used to it, it just feels normal. And so the Bible here is just calling us back and saying, hey, God tells us, I know you're broken. I know you're hurting and I want to help you. I want to, to love you. I want to restore you and refresh you to what you were designed for. But in America, we give excuses when we can't do something. Somebody asks you to get together and you can't. And it's a totally acceptable excuse to say, sorry, I can't make it because my kids have something. That's acceptable. Or we can say, sorry, I can't make it. I have a lot of work to do. I have a project at work. Totally acceptable. You can say you're sick. Totally acceptable. 
But if you say, I can't make it because I just need to rest, okay, you're kind of saying, I can't make it because I'm defective. There's something wrong with me. Somehow, you see, we've gotten to the place in America where it's not okay to say, I need a rest. And the great thing about that is, is that when we get to that place and we admit, hey, I need a rest, and we let people know that, it kind of gives them permission to also. I mean, could it be that we could be the place where God starts something to encourage others and let others know it's okay to need a rest? It's okay to say no and need a break. It's okay to draw a boundary around 24 hours. In fact, it's what we're supposed to do. And then we go for 144 hours, and then we take 24 off. We go for 144 hours, take 24 off. That's the rhythm of our lives. It's the what we were designed for. And it used to be that Sundays were different. Things were closed. The country kind of shut down on Sundays. But that doesn't happen anymore. Now we are in a full-out 24-7 culture. But the trouble with that is that our bodies were designed for 24-6. And that's why 24-7 is so hard, because we're always on. And we don't want to miss out. We hate to say, I can't make it because I need to rest, because we have FOMO. You know, FOMO, F-O-M-O, just fear of missing out. We're afraid we're going to miss out on something. If we don't show up, we're afraid we're going to miss out on what went on. Have you ever been invited to something and you didn't want to go? You were tired. You just wanted to stay home. But you actually went because you didn't want to miss what was going on. You didn't want to miss out. We have to be okay with being willing to miss out on things that might go on one day a week so that we won't miss out on what God has for us. Now, another thing that really keeps us, prevents us from getting this rest is our addiction to motion. Psalm 46.10 puts it this way. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. God says, if you want to know me, be still. Slow down. Stop. Listen. Stop moving. Just hold on. Shut everything out for just a little bit. But there's something in us that really wants to either be moving or watching something else or someone else that's moving. So if I am going to be still, I'd like to be watching a ball game or a show of some kind or playing a video game. Something needs to be going on. But being still has so much value. And then also another reason that we end up not taking rest is simply that we're playing God. We play God. We think, if it's going to be, it's got to be me. I've got to do it. I've got to be the one. The sun might not come up tomorrow if I don't do all these things. But of course, the truth is that there is a creator, and it's not us. There's a savior, and it's not us. It's a huge relief to know that you don't have to save everyone. God says, hey, take a break. Take a break. The great thing, too, is that we'll be training our kids to take a break because we have a whole generation now that has never seen people living out taking a day off, a rhythm of the week. But we could bring that back, as God tells us to. Deuteronomy 5.15, Scripture tells us this. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. It says, hey, remember what you were like without me? 
you need to rest. If we remember what our lives are like without him, it'll cause us to want to obey him and want to rest. But there's one last thing that we've got to really look out for, and it will prevent us from keeping a Sabbath if we don't, and that is failure to plan. This has been me plenty of times. I will think, okay, I am really gonna get everything done in six days this week, and I'm gonna take one day of rest. I can say that, I can have good intentions, but Sabbaths never are an accident. I never accidentally don't have anything that I'm supposed to be doing. It has to be intentional. And so if we're gonna get serious about this, then it will mean that we're really gonna have to do some planning and put some of those things that we normally do on what maybe is a day of catch up for you to move them into the other six days of the week if they really need to be done so that we can have that boundary around 24 hours and take a Sabbath, not to do nothing, but to do restful things. And that might mean setting up a regular notification on your email, on your computer, just saying, sorry, I'm away from, you know, I'm away right now, but I will be glad to get back with you on Monday morning. Letting people know, actually having conversations about it so that we can say, hey, I need a break. I'm resting. Well, what do you do on your Sabbath? Let's get really practical because first thing you've got to do is choose a day and set it aside. It has to be different. Remember, holy means set apart or different than what you do in the other six days. Now, in the Old Testament, they took Saturday. In the New Testament, they started taking Sunday. Jesus never said, hey, you need to take Sunday, but they started doing that. And I don't think it really matters. Chris and I take our Sabbath on Monday because we work on Sundays. And so Monday is a Sabbath day for us. But the the key is you've got to pick a day and say, this is going to be our day. We're going to protect this day. So you choose your day. And the first thing you do is you refuel your soul. Got to refuel your soul. I mean, you can go to the lake on your Sabbath and then come back and hit traffic and be more stressed than when you left. You can lay on a beach all day on your Sabbath, and then you come back, and you're more burdened and stressed out than when you left. Why? Because you didn't do anything to refuel your soul. Sabbath, first and foremost, you have to refuel your soul, and you do that by worship and fellowship, worshiping God and fellowship. That's what you're doing right now. You're following this commandment. You're refueling your soul, but I want to tell you, there'll be so many times where your flesh will feel like not coming to church. It's like, I've got so many things to do and I'm so far behind right now. There'll be times when you feel like that you gotta get other things done or maybe you just feel tired. You just don't feel like going. There'll be many times like that. But you choose because you know that your soul needs it, that your body needs it, that your emotions need it. You have to refuel spiritually. And so you come to church, you make it a priority, and you worship. You focus on God in worship, you sing to him, you get the teaching, you get a whole new perspective, it gets recalibrated. Your soul gets recalibrated so you can be on the right track, go in the right direction. It says here in Hebrews 10, 25, you should not stay away from the church meetings as some are doing, but you should meet together and encourage each other. But it's all about the soul. You don't do just what you're flesh feels like doing. No, I'm telling you. And when you do that and you get to church on days you don't feel like going, that's when God speaks to you the most. 
That's when God does his miracles in your life. That's when God gives you direction that changes you forever. And you feel it once you get there. You just feel it and you, you, everything comes along. But your soul has to come first. And then everything else will start to follow because it's a choice. It's a commitment that you make. And you're here. You're worshiping. You're refueling your soul. But then there's the next thing you've got to do. And the next thing you have to do to really do on your Sabbath, put into your Sabbath, is to recharge your emotions. So you worship, you refuel your soul, and then you recharge your emotions. So you're not just doing nothing, isolated all day long, never doing anything, completely bored. No, God says, I I made you uniquely and creatively, and I want you to recharge your emotions. Now, the important thing to know is that this looks different for different people and in different stages of life. Maybe you are the parents of young children and you think, oh yeah, sign me up. I'll take a Sabbath. I'll take a day off. But oh yeah, how do I do that? I mean, really? No, the truth is that God has designed a way for us to do it. If, we're, if we ask him, he'll show us what makes sense for the age and the stage that we're in. And it changes. You don't have to land on something that works for you now for all time, but you do need to ask God, hey, Lord, I want to follow you in taking a Sabbath. Show me how to do that. What does that look like? So maybe if you have young children, maybe you you worship and then you decide to do something together as a family. You go to the park, you go to the zoo, you do something together. And then maybe you've decided as a couple that then you're going to give each other each some time by yourselves to kind of refresh yourselves and after the kids go to bed, then you can have time together in the evening. I don't know what it looks like, and it might look somewhat different from week to week, but Carrie and I have found that in each stage of life that there seems to be a rhythm, and we kind of find what works for us during that stage of life, and then we move on. The other thing that might be different for you, something to think about, is that if the husband and wife, if one of you is an extrovert and one of you is an introvert, that happens a whole lot, then you recharge differently. Introverts recharge by getting by themselves, by withdrawing. And extroverts recharge by being around people. So what do you do? If one of you says, well, that doesn't sound refreshing to me, you know, if we're just gonna be with people all day. And the other one says, but if I'm with people all day, I'll never feel refreshed. I need some time alone before I head back into my week. Well, you do what pretty much all of marriage is made of, which is compromise. So maybe you hang out, agree to hang out at the house and do things around the house that are refreshing to each of you during the day. And then in the evening, you get together with friends. Whatever it is for your particular situation, for your, in your marriage, maybe you live by yourself and you wanna really think about how, how can I connect? I just encourage you, think about it. Put some time into thinking about it. Sabbath happens in communities because that's how we live. We live in families, in couples. And so when God asks us to live out this command, it's not going to be all by yourself, but in the framework of what he's already given us. And so just try to make keeping a Sabbath the rule instead of the exception, because you'll start doing this, and then one week it'll come up to your Sabbath, and grandma will be in the hospital, and then you will be really stressed out all day. You'll be running back and forth, and like, well, that didn't work out. I didn't have a Sabbath. I don't feel rested at all. I give up this isn't going to work for me. No, you just do exactly what you do if you miss a meal. 
I mean, if you miss a meal, you don't say, well, this whole eating thing, I will never do this again. It clearly doesn't work for me. No, you just eat more at the next meal. And so if you, something comes up and you aren't able to take your regularly scheduled Sabbath, then it's okay. Look for a time later in the week or double up the next week. But the idea is to find a regular rhythm of working and resting, working and resting, six days working, one day resting, and really getting refreshed by God. Talk in your families about what this might look like. You know, if you're married, if you have kids, have a discussion about it. Talk about it. Dream about what it might look like for you and your family to actually start taking a Sabbath day. Now, there's probably some things that'll be good to take out that aren't refreshing, and so you can think about those. Usually they fall into a couple categories. One is just things that are mindlessly numbing. Um, that's just because that won't refresh you. So you could play video games for 12 hours, but you probably won't feel refreshed at the end of the day or when you head back to work the next day. And the other thing is filling your day with chores, basically, things that are necessary, but they don't refresh you. And so the key there is to get thinking about it and put those things intentionally that need to be done into the other six days of your week so that you really can create a boundary around that 24 hours. Just ask the Lord. The great thing is, is that we have a God who loves us, a personal God who wants to talk to you, who wants you to live the way he created you for. And so uh, he's ready and eager to help you and tell you what will work best in the stage of life that you're in. So I don't know what that is for you, but I can tell you what some people, uh, friends of ours, people that we know, have put into their lives on the Sabbath day that refresh them. One thing is nature, being out in nature, just getting outside. So if you're inside all week especially, I encourage you, get outside, doing something. Go take a walk. Get outside into nature. Maybe it's reading. Maybe it's cooking. Maybe it's spending time with friends unless it's networking, which really doesn't count, but refreshingly spending time with friends. For some of you, it might be refreshing to just be in silence. And some of you want music. Some of you want that, that's what's refreshing to you. Maybe it's painting or some other kind of hobby that releases that creativity in you. It might be playing board games. That's something our family likes to do. It might be just spending that longer conscious time reading God's word and praying and just having a space to do that in. It might be having a movie night as a family, unless every night is a movie night, and then that wouldn't be not you know, something set apart or different. The key is do something that's different, that's not ordinary, that's set apart for you. The bottom line is what replenishes your soul. Think about what refreshes your soul, because in the end, you don't keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath keeps you. The Sabbath will keep you for the long haul. This life is more like a marathon, and if you want to keep going, if you don't want to just burn out, flame out before the end, if you don't want to just crash and burn, the key is to develop this weekly rhythm of a Sabbath, and it will change everything. All that noise in your life will turn into music. Refuel your soul, recharge your emotions, and rest your body. And you rest your body in a lot of different ways, probably not just laying on the couch, uh, going for walks, you can exercise, but get rest. Your body needs it, but it all starts with the soul. 
Look at this last verse where Jesus tells us the real secret to rest. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. Jesus said, come to me. Jesus is rest. Rest from all your stress. Rest from your worries. Rest from your fears. Rest from your sins. Rest from your shame. You can rest in his grace. And some of you are worn out. Some of you are burned out. God's got you here for a reason. God knew before he created the world that you would be here on this day, that you would be at one of our satellites, or you'd be worshiping with us through our broadcast or online ministry. God knew it was God's appointment for you because he has green pastures for you, green pastures of rest and purpose and meaning and hope, but you've got to come to him got to come to him. Instead of trying to hold the world up on your own, you're not the general manager of the universe. You can quit. Quit before you get fired because you're going to fail at being the general manager of the universe and trying to hold it all together. And you find that when you quit, everything still goes on, but your heart gets filled with peace and you find your purpose. I want us to bow our heads right now. And if you're feeling restless in your soul. Just turn to him. Give him that problem you're holding on to. Give him that stress. Give him that worry. Give him that relationship that you're trying to fix. Give him that burden that you brought in with you. You came to refill your soul, but you're still holding on to that burden. Give it over to him. You can trust him with it. He's big enough to handle it and to hold you. Lord God, we come before you and we thank you that you're God. We're not and we need you, and we just ask you to hold us. We give you our burdens, our problems, our pain. You're big enough, and we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you're also so loving that you care about every little detail of our lives. And I pray, Lord, over the next few weeks as we continue to do this soul safari, that you would just show up in our lives in miracle kind of ways. You'd meet us at our deepest point of need. You'd bring healing that you would bring restoration, that you would bring purpose and meaning, that you would do things in our lives that we never dreamed possible as we stop and let you be God. And Lord, I pray for those who've never rested in you and your salvation and, and grace and forgiveness that right now they would just say in their hearts, Jesus Christ, I give up. I need you to save me. I'm tired of trying to save myself. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I want you to be my safari guide from now on and take me to heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, Christ came into your life and he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll always be in your life. Well, now we're at the point of our service where we give back to God some of what he's given us. And as you give, worship the Lord in this time of giving. He's the Prince of Peace. He wants to give you peace in every area of your life as you put him first. And then ask God to bless you. That's nothing wrong with that. You're blessed to be a blessing. God wants to use you as a conduit of his blessings. And God says, I promise you that I'll give back to you and meet your needs. And then pray that God will multiply these gifts. There are over 100 ministries and missions for his glory. 
to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, bless our giving. We thank you. You've given us the greatest gift of all, your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for how you're going to speak to our hearts in the next few moments, how you're going to work miracles, Lord, as we give to you. We thank you, Lord, that you give us so much. In Jesus' name, amen. God hears our prayers. God hears your prayer. And God's going to meet you at your point of need this week. Just look to him every day. Take a little rest by getting on your knees first thing in the morning. And right before you go to bed, get on your knees and just say, God, you're God, I'm not. And we're going on Soul Safari next weekend. It's gonna be a huge weekend at Woodland Church. So be here at one of our services. We're gonna be talking about the hunt for hope. We're gonna have the animals back. It's gonna be a lot of fun for the kids. Have a great holiday, holy day, okay? Tomorrow. God bless you. We love you. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.